This is FBG Jen and FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margo, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey, guys. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. And we've got glutes on our minds today, do we not, ladies? Glutes. Don't we always? <laughs> yeah, we true. We do. We're all about the butt. <laughs> we're all about the butt today. So we were talk. Jen and I talked to Courtney Wyckoff from Mama Strong. And Jen, I don't know about you, I was like doing my butt exercises as we started talking to her because she was so convincing. So what did you think of this interview today? I loved, 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 loved this interview. I mean, we get into core strength and yeah, the glutes we get into, uh, she answers so many of my personal questions, like about shoulders and stuff. Yep. <laughs> but, um, I, I thought that she was just so great at kind of taking the science and kind of the anatomy of the body and what we understand about fitness and just having a really, really fun, relatable conversation about how to improve a lot of your body mechanics and why a lot of us have common injuries and how to correct them. But not in, I mean, it's just not in a boring way. It's just in like a really, really fun conversation. We had like a million more questions for her. <laughs> I, I, I feel like she's going to be the ones we have to ask back again, because as soon as we stopped talking to her and I started writing my notes, I'm like, oh, I want to ask her this. And I want to ask her this. And I want to ask her this one too. She was really so interesting. And I loved what she said. So, so your, your glutes are actually, there's a few different muscle groups. There's your gluteus maximus, which is you know the big part of your cheeks. And then right above that is your gluteus medius. And most people, including myself, have weak gluteus medius, or you have to really work at firing those up, as she likes to say. And it really will help with your core strength. And so I wanted to talk to you guys about what are your favorite glute moves? So who wants to go first? Why don't you go, Kristen? Um, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I like all the, the, your standard ones, but the one that I probably do the most because I, you know, I work at a standing desk and so I can do this, you know, just while I'm working is, <laughs> um, I don't even know what the actual name would be. But I focus on squeezing each cheek independently. Mm -hmm. um, it was a it was a trick that I saw at a um, strip club once, and <laughs> I was like, I would like to be able to do that. So I just did that in the mirror for a while, and um, so yeah, um, <laughs> it's Wait, not. It, you, this, is not a, this is not it. Now I'm trying to do it. You just focus on your. You did it. Some practice. And you think you're doing it, but you're not doing it. So mm -hmm. that's why you need to do it in the mirror. Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to do it in my chair. Do you, yeah, oh, you, I think you have to stand. I've no, Oh, maybe you're really advanced. I don't think I've tried it sitting. But yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm just uh, kegels. Like, I don't think anything's happening. <laughs> yeah. I Like, I really wish that I could give you more instruction, but <laughs> I, I have no idea. I really just, like, tried different things until I saw it do what I wanted it to do oh my um, God. and I, I also want to just like state for the record this is not a parlor trick like this is not something that I do in front of <laughs> literally anyone I don't even think I've done this like at my husband because it's you know the, the, the dude I saw doing it at the club for my friend's bachelorette party like he made it look very good it does not look like that when I do it but it's it's just one of those things where I'm like I 
I can really feel so many things engaging when I do it that I know it's working some good deep muscles. So, um, so that's awesome. (laughs) That is how you fire your glutes. That is an amazing story. So what about you, Jen? Well, mine's not nearly as exciting because no, I'm like, I don't, I don't like, yeah, no, I need to rethink things, how I think about some of my glute work. But, um, I did have, I ran a marathon and, um, in 2010 and I had a lot of like issues, pain in my TFL, which is funny. I'm just like exactly the person that she's talking about um, in this interview when she talks about her injuries and stuff. But it took me doing a lot of glute exercises to fire up. I had lazy butt syndrome, which is the most ironic thing when your website's named after like butts and yours is literally like not working. So the exercise that I did through physical therapy that I absolutely love, I call them monster walks. I think they're called a number of different things. But when you get one of those smaller resistance bands and you put it around your your, um, your ankles or a little oh. bit above your ankles and then you do like the side like you walk to the side yep and then you walk the other way oh my gosh like it, you you can feel the entire area like burning and it's so good and I found I mean it was really through me strengthening all of that that got me out of that injury and even now if I start to kind of feel like some stuff in my legs is just feeling a little weird or a little too tight or a little not as much as it should be um, I'll make sure I'll get in that and do those monster walks and fire back up again and it's like the pain like goes away from me so it's super super effective what about you Margo? So I've been doing what she's been talking about. Well, I have two exercises I'm going to cheat. I have two exercises. One I like to do, you're laying on the floor, you know, on your stomach, okay, and your hands are like under your chin, and you flex your feet towards the ceiling, okay, and you just think about using that gluteus medius, so it's the top of the butt just kind of pulsing up, and it's tricky because you don't want to twinge the back, right, because you can feel like you're doing that, so you kind of draw your abs in. And just do a couple of counts of eight, and you will totally fire up the the medius, the gluteus medius. And then also what she talks about on this podcast, what I've been doing, is doing the band like just above my knees, and then doing potty squats, and then just doing that, just doing squats with the band uh, twice a day, in the morning and at night, and 50 each, and somewhere around 39, I'm like, really, I got more of these to do? But I do them. <laughs> And I've been feeling a big, big difference, and it's it's feeling much, much better. And I, I feel like my back is even getting a little bit stronger too, just the antagonist muscles and everything. So that's what I've been doing for my butt. I love it. That's I awesome. think it's so cool too how like the entire body, you know, it's not. We I think for so long fitness was like you work this body part and then you work this body part and it's about this, but everything works together. Yep. And if you get everything working together, you, I mean, the things that we can do. It's pretty amazing. And she's absolutely right. Like the, the medius is really important to your core strength. And like, if you want to get flatter abs, like, like who, who doesn't, um, it's a yeah. really good way to do it because it's working the muscle right behind it. So that's, I, that's why I, re- I really loved this interview because she gives great tips like that. And she's just like, she was so cool and chill and fun, you know, just like yeah. a nice Texas girl, like for the show. So I, I loved having her on the show. Agreed. So do we just do the interview right now with our Mama Strong, Courtney Wyckoff? Let's do it. You guys enjoy. Okay, you know, brace your glutes right now, everybody, and let's go right into it. (laughs) 
Courtney Wyckoff is a certified personal trainer and corrective exercise specialist with 14 years experience in the field of fitness, nutrition, and injury prevention and treatment. She's been working exclusively with pre and postnatal women for the last seven years, which has allowed her the opportunity to see how seldom women in this country get the sort of support and information they need to truly reintegrate their core nervous system and biomechanical performance after childbirth. She has multiple advanced and clinical specializations in pelvic stabilization, core integration, and resilience training. Most importantly, though, through her work that founded Mama Strong, Courtney has healed her own body of numerous injuries that formerly sidelined her from an active and adventurous life. She is here today to talk about pre- and postnatal workouts and the importance of the glutes. Welcome to the show today, Courtney. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here today. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Thanks, guys. So, Courtney, I'm going to ask you the first question. I want to start at the beginning and ask you why you focused solely on pre- and postnatal women, You know why you decided to do that, and also, have there been any big changes or developments in this category since you started? Huh. Um, so, I first started, honestly, truly, out of a very desperate place. I had had my second child via C-section, and um, I was a corrective exercise specialist, a Pilates teacher. I'd spent my entire life prior to kids, um, working with the core, with the pelvis, with the spine. And after my second child, I was a little shocked and to be honest, a little shameful that everything I had learned wasn't working. And along with that, I was severely depressed and um, not able to tell anybody for the normal fears that most of us have um, in that department. So, you know, combined with the physical pain and the depression, uh, this little fighter inside of me started to say like, maybe if you just start researching and digging in and finding out what's wrong rather than what's wrong with you, like what's wrong with the container of this, um, maybe you'll find some answers, but also, um, feel better. So I think it was out of desperation that I just started researching and that research started to make me feel better in terms of depression. But then I started discovering that the way that we train uh, the female body, and frankly, all bodies, I would say now that what I know what I know, but uh, was completely off base. Um, all this focus on flexion in order to get our cores strong, meaning crunches and the stuff we would learn in Pilates. I started to see that if, if I worked instead in extension, that my spine became healthy and all of my back pain and my other pain started to dissipate. So that flipped everything I knew. And then once I felt that, I was, other women have to know this. How do we not know this at this point in history? Like, how do we not know this? So that, that's where it started. Next thing I know, I was researching e-commerce and how to host uh, videos and how to do that whole dance. And what's changed since I started is actually pretty significant. There's a lot that hasn't changed, which is a big bummer, and we can get to that later. But what has changed is the prevalence and the availability of postpartum PTs for, you know, your pelvis, for typical issues that women run into, women's health specialists, that the rise of that has been incredible. That did not exist when I first started. Um, so that's been very cool to watch. And the other thing <laughs> that's changed in my research is I was so focused on the core and rehabilitating how our abdominal muscles work um, that that is entirely changed. I would say in the last five months for me, where now fitting with the name of your podcast, I am actually a hundred percent focused on 
the, the function of our glutes and how they support the pelvis and then help you activate your core. So uh, that's been a huge departure from even how I trained at the very beginning. The it's glutes, a lot man. Of fun. The glutes. The glutes, man. It's all about the glutes. Yep. It's all about the glutes. Okay. So you talked a little bit about, that was just a lot, you're like of amazing avenues and things like we can go down into. So let's talk about, um, you talked about the container, not what's wrong with me, what's wrong with the container. Can you dive a little bit more into that? And also I would like to know, um, you know, you did mention flexion with the crunching versus extension. If you can just give a couple examples of what like exercises those are so people can kind of grasp onto those concepts and they would be super helpful. Sure. Totally. Thank you. So, uh, first, when talking about the container, what I meant was like, you know, when I gave birth, especially to my first child, they are uh, five years apart. You know, there was this expectation of, of stuff I was going to do physically that would help my body, as they say, bounce back very quickly. And it seemed like this formula that, that was out there, this container, so to speak, of a way to heal your body. But uh, when I applied that, it really didn't work. And um, I was in a lot of pain and my belly still was like, I looked like I was five months pregnant, even a month after giving birth, um, which was hard because I was such an active person and I was a athlete and here I was a core trainer and I looked pregnant. It kind of, it was, that part was hard. So the container I think is, you know, in terms of how we train, how we used to train the female body after giving birth and the focus we have there, but also how we treat the whole woman. You know, we're told after we give birth not to exercise for six weeks. And so what that does to most women is we go home and we're afraid to move because we think we're like broken and something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But we are going home and doing very physical things that require a lot of core strength without any activation down there. So the container of thinking that um, birth just heals itself naturally and that a woman can do it in isolation in any way, um, that container for me was just completely inadequate. And that's the one I started to really uh, move away from as, as far as um, flexion versus extension. So I have been taught my entire life uh, how to activate the core through types of moves that involve rounding your back forward. So whether that's a crunch or in Pilates, you know, if people are familiar with Pilates, there's a move called um, the hundreds, mm -hmm. things like that, where your body is bent forward. This was an okay way to activate the core at a time where Joseph Pilates, the founder of Pilates, um, you know, first started. And that's because as a population, we were all upright and walking around doing a lot more manual labor. Our transportation was far more on our feet. Um, our, our spines really hadn't moved into such flexion just day to day all the time. And now, nowadays, our work is, you know, requiring most of us to be sitting quite a bit more. So that's changed. And so when Joseph Pilates first created his work, doing a lot of flexion to get the core to activate made sense a bit, right? But now, because we're all so sedentary and we all are bent forward and we've all spent a lifetime kind of tucking our hips under <laughs> and pulling our body forward, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to strengthen our core or our body in flexion anymore. So when I speak of extension, I'm talking about things like, like potty squats. I'm talking about uh, planks. Uh, I'm talking about things like that, where your spine is able to function in an extended position. And then we learn to activate the core while in extension there. Does that it's, make sense? Yeah, no, it's amazing. I have a good yeah. friend that's an acromat. 
And uh, yeah. and she like we, the last time we met, she was showing off her six pack abs. They were like literally you could bounce a quarter off of them. And we were like, what are you doing? She's like, it's extension. It's doing back bends and stuff like that. Yeah. She goes, that changed. And you, so you're blowing my mind right now. So I'm going to tell her I talked to you today and she's going to be really psyched. So can you talk a little bit about diastasis, diastasis recti, please? Sure. And your best uh, tips for that? Yeah. So this became a very, very trendy thing in the last, um, I would say, gosh, the last year or two. Trendy meaning that we discovered that this was happening to women and we were all completely shocked, right? Like, oh my God, you have a separation in your abdominals. Like, it's terrible. This is why I have a belly. So diastasis recti is very common and normal. So while you're pregnant, uh, your abdominal muscles, your rectus abdominis has to separate in order to, you know, grow that baby. So it's a normal process. In between the six-pack muscle, you have connective tissue called the linea alba. And that linea alba then stretches to accommodate the growing baby. So it's normal that it happens. It has to happen. And it's also normal that after you give birth, it sticks around for a minute. Because basically what happens after you give birth is the six-pack muscles then have to come back together. And when they come back together, the linea alba that's been stretched out can then start to heal and regain elasticity. And so in other cultures, right after you give birth, um, first off, you're, you become very mobile very quickly. And most importantly, you're surrounded by other women in a tribe sort of setting who help you out. And so you're not just doing 100% caretaking. You're also not just sitting all day. Um, and they wrap you very beautifully and very effectively. And what that does is it brings the rectus abdominis back together and that linea alba then heals and that linea alba becomes um, more like a trampoline and starts to become elastic again and then um, everything heals beautifully. In this culture, unfortunately, because we don't wrap properly and because women aren't being as supported in the ways that we really need after birth, we end up keeping a lot of tension on that linea alba. Um, and that's through, again, not wrapping, through doing the wrong types of exercise, through holding babies the wrong way, from um, sitting too much and not going back into extension. And so that linea alba, instead of having time to heal, it stays stretched out and it, that tension stays there. And so that connective tissue becomes weaker and weaker and eventually leaves to hernias or just prolonged, as we all call it, the pooch, things like that that we typically see. So when I deal with women, which most women I deal with, and myself included, I had a five finger separation. We really separate the, we measure the separation of the abdominals with fingers <laughs> and uh, measurements. And you can actually put your hand right at your navel and then you can count how many fingers are in between the wall of the rectus abdominis. Um, and most women that I work with usually have about three to seven finger separations all the way up until decades after they've given birth. Mm. And, um, that's very typical in Western culture. So the, the way to fix it, you know, of course, as, as a quick fix, we all want to do crunches and we're like, or we want to do even just typical abdominal work to fix it. Cause we think that if we get our six pack strong again, it'll be better. But in fact, that actually prolongs the issue because then the rectus abdominis gets strong in a separated position. So what women have to do first is they have to bring the pelvis into a neutral position. And that's where the glute work becomes so important. You can't strengthen your core if your glutes aren't firing properly. So that's the first step is to get your glutes firing. Most of us have dead butt syndrome. We can talk about that. But 
So we get the glutes firing, which pulls the pelvis into a neutral position. And once it's there, then we start to work the abdominals, but from the deepest layer. So we start to work the transverse abdominus and the pelvic floor muscles. And they start to come together. And what they do is then allow the rectus to... So sorry, we got okay. we got disconnected a little bit. Can you continue? Perfect. Okay. So um, you can't, you absolutely cannot strengthen your abdominals or heal this if the glutes aren't firing properly because we need to pull the pelvis back into that neutral position for the abdominals start to work. So step one is, is get the glutes awake. Then after you've gotten the glutes awake and the pelvis neutral, then what we do is we start to work the transverse abdominus, which is a deep abdominal muscle. Mm -hmm. And that can be done just from breathing. So as you sit, um, you just practice pressing the belly to the spine very gently and that starts to activate the transverse. And then after that, you start to learn a very, um, I call it a 2017, 2018 Kegel, which is not just squeezing your sphincter down there, but um, learning how to work it and think of it lifting up. So it's a, it's a technique called abdominal bracing. And when a woman starts to do that and starts to work all of that together, she can usually heal a diastasis in two weeks. It can happen that fast. It's a beautifully resilient part of our body. We just don't know how to handle it very well. Wow, two weeks. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it happen many times. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so oh, I have three questions <laughs> based on that. Margo's going to kill me. She's like, Jen, you can't ask all the questions no, all the time. That's okay. Slow down. Okay, <laughs> so I want to talk about your thoughts on okay so you talked about wrapping and there's a way to do it there's not a way to do it and also from my personal experience when I've seen stuff and be like oh that does seem beneficial and then there'll be something out that that comes out and it's like you know the like the Kardashians are doing it and it, it looks more like you know what I mean it looks yeah like it's, it's more about the aesthetic that is the actual functionality. So can you give some pointers on that? And then maybe I'll ask a few yeah. more questions. So those waist trainers or even yeah. the, abdom the postpartum braces, I have not found the right one. And I, I want to be careful about not being too like dramatic about what I'm about to say. But I think it's important for women to hear it, which is we're seeing more and more rates of um, prolapse in women and younger women even who have not had children. And a lot of it is because of these waist trainers. So if you think about your abdominal cavity as an area that not only has beautiful muscles that we need to work, but it also houses all your organs. And your pelvic floor exists because we need to have a way to create, like I said, like a trampoline to hold all that up without too much effort. So when you put something really tight around your waist, all of your organs and the tissue in your abdominals, whether it's fat or just other connective tissue, it has to go somewhere. So if you're squeezing right at your waist, most of the time it's pushing downward. So what it's doing is it's compromising the pelvic floor um, in a way that's not ideal. So I'm constantly on the lookout for, I don't recommend waist trainers at all under any circumstances ever. I, I, I also, when, in terms of postpartum, I haven't found the right brace. There's some better ones out there. There's one called Mama Strut, S-T-R-U-T, which is very good. Um, there's a couple other ones, the BellaFit people seem to do okay with. Um, I haven't really found the right one yet that really helps to lift that area and support it rather than just what we want to do aesthetically, which is squeeze it together. Um, so we're still looking for that. But if you look at what other cultures do for wrapping, they use a piece of linen and the linen 
skin gets wrapped around the body in a certain, a very strategic way to where it forms more like a, I don't want to say a cast, but it's closer to that where you then have the support pulling upwards a bit more rather than just squeezing in. And that seems to be far more effective. Unfortunately, that way of wrapping is really not uh, feasible for most modern women in this culture. Like we just don't have the time. And also we have the clothes that we wear. It doesn't really work. But if you look at that technique, I think you can see the difference in how and what it's doing just based on material and technique. It's it's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm confident that some brilliant person out there is creating uh, yeah. a modern day one like that. I'm, I then, believe it. I believe it. Yeah, go ahead. How, how long do they normally, um, like, stay wrapped? Like, they, get wrapped they get wrapped immediately after birth. Uh-huh. And it's, not, it's not for aesthetics, right? Like, this is right. a beautiful difference. They're like, they understand that your belly just got blown out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like, we got to put it all back in. We Crazy shit just happened. <laughs> yes. It's all falling out. So they're like, okay, we need to wrap it up. So it's not aesthetic. It's more of just a common sense right so they do it right after you give birth and you keep that on for you know most of these women for a solid six weeks um and after that if you've ever met a woman i had a couple clients from south america whose grandmothers did this with them and i i kid you not they were like so confused about diastasis recti they were so (laughs) confused about belly issues they were like what how is this such a big deal and in my culture it's just not and it is because of that older wrapping style um it's just basically like how you would heal a bone that gets broken or like a ligament that gets torn but unfortunately when we see it in the lens of the female body after giving birth we immediately go to aesthetics instead of like medical issue (laughs) like she needs medical grade support on that area that just got blown out (laughs) yep it's like oh just go home you'll be fine it's fine nothing happened here you just go home and wear a corset but don't act like you have a corset on because no one can know that you actually need it (laughs) right oh my god so confusing Um, you also talked about how to hold a baby (laughs) i mean i think we all i think we all like we hold the baby so that the baby is supportive and so that it feels mildly comfortable but i mean yeah throw out some tips on that too oh gosh my favorite so i love it every time i talk to somebody who's been told what to do to hold a baby when they have back pain it's always the advice of like oh you need to hold them more centered and don't round your back and i'm like wait (laughs) you're a mom like a maternal hold we round our bodies to hold our babies like how can generations of human beings have done this and all of a sudden now you're telling me that's not the way to do it like when i'm holding my kid if you're asking me to stand up straight and hold the child evenly, then I'm not able to be maternal in that hold. I'm not able to round my body around the child, hold it in a way that feels comfortable to me or at all connected. So I had to leave that advice, even though it's, it sounds right. I had to leave that advice and go, okay, as women, we are going to be doing unpredictable things. We yeah. are basically like tennis players every day. Uh, and we are going to be holding in a very dysfunctional way. So how then can I support a woman's body while it's being so dysfunctional. Well, the key is to make sure that the pelvis is supported with the glutes being awake and that you are then moving in a really natural way. So holding the child, really using your arms becomes a great way to do it. So you can round your back a bit and then take most of the weight into your arms. If you look at indigenous cultures, that's really how they hold their kids. They're also not afraid to put their kids on their back and run around or carry them to the front. 
And as long as the glutes are awake and as long as the glutes are firing, then your pelvis is going to have a lot of movement. The reason why we all end up in pain is because our pelvis isn't supported because the glutes aren't firing. The minute the glutes are firing, it's really impressive how agile and how able our bodies are to do these very dysfunctional things without any consequence. So my advice is to hold that baby like you were designed to hold the baby and then work on the support system for that dysfunctional movement, which is 100% your glutes, 100% (laughs) making sure that your glutes are firing to support the foundation of that hold. And so not tuck tuck the hips under. A lot of women, when they're holding babies, really tuck the hips under. Mm -hmm. There's a way to hold the child where your upper body is wrapping around them and the pelvis then becomes like a very stable uh, place foundation for holding. So I literally ran a marathon with <laughs> glutes that were not firing. Oh my God, we can go. This is my favorite topic in the whole world. <laughs> and it was extremely painful and took lots of physical therapy in order to get them going. Yeah. Um, Okay, so talk about how what are easy ways people can activate their glutes um, or get them more activated or see if they're activated. And then and I'm also wondering, like, do you have something that you go through? Because so much of what you're talking about is, like, you want to make sure the right things are, are activated, the right things are moving, that kind of kinetic chain is starting where it should or as it should. So with that in mind, do you also think about, like, do you wake up in the morning and, like, sit around and activate all your stuff? Or is it, like, before a workout or, like, continuous? Like, give us some insight on that, too. Oh, my God. This is my favorite subject. And, in fact, I'm having to refilm all my content based off of what I'm learning. So, in December of last year, I had to I had to finish up some CEUs for my certification and had, of course, left it to the last minute, which meant I had to meet with lots of people and lots of clients very quickly. But what happened was really beautiful is that working in person with a lot of these members of my company – who are doing all my workouts, I was able to see that they're doing everything right, but 100% of them, their glutes were not firing, even though they were doing glute exercises. And what was working instead were three main muscle groups. One was the hip flexors, known as the TFL, tensor fascia lata. It sounds like a Starbucks drink. Uh, The QL, QL, which is a quadratus lumborum, it's a deep abdominal muscle. Um, and then most importantly, most women, and this is important for runners, we're actually activating their glutes at the lower part of the glutes using their hamstrings. So we all start to think that our glutes are strong when we can squeeze them down low. But if we look at the anatomy of the glutes, you have three glute muscles, the minimus, the medius, and the maximus. Mm-hmm. And when you look at those, they actually start at the top of the pelvis. So if you put your hands on the back bony part of your pelvis, there's like a you know, rounded part back there. The glutes actually attach at the top part and travel down, kind of fan out across the, um, the cheeks that you know. So they're up a lot higher than we think. And so most of us have been activating our glutes from the hamstrings, including myself. Me too. So working with these people one-on-one, I was like, oh my gosh, we're all using the hamstrings. No one's using the glute. And so lo and behold, I was like, I have to change everything. So the best way to wake up the glutes is fairly simple. Number one, do not tuck the hips under at all. This doesn't mean that you're sticking your butt out. It just means that you're allowing the tailbone to move behind you. So um, most of us, if we pay attention to where our tailbone is, um, you'll notice that it's kind of always sneaking under us a bit, like between the legs. And you want to think of the tailbone being like a bunny tail and just hanging out behind you. I kind of tell people to imagine they have like a heavy 
diaper, a poopy diaper, <laughs> like to keep their tailbone, <laughs> tailbone back behind them. So that's number one. Once you do that, something that I found very effective is using a belt around the legs or a resistance band around the legs and just simply doing a potty squat. And in that potty squat with the pelvis neutral, press the knees outwards into the band or the um, belt. And what happens here when you do that is you start to activate the glutes, the real glutes, because the real glutes are what we call abductors, meaning that they're taking the leg away from the midline of the body. They're abducting the leg. And once we, we try to get that resistance of pushing slightly out with the knees, you can do it sitting in the car, in fact, where you're just sitting naturally and you just kind of press the knees out to the side without moving the feet, your glutes will start to activate. So I take that basic idea and then I make women do it in a bunch of different positions. And some women, it kicks off right away. Some women, their right glute works and their left glutes hanging out because that TFL is working too hard. It's just kind of, at that point, it's just playing around. But what happens as soon as the glutes start to fire through enough repetition, it's like waking up. What I call the glutes are like the surfers of the group where the, the other muscles I described earlier are like the type A's who are constantly raising their hand in class. And the surfers are like, I'm not going to answer unless you, I'm called on and it's important. And so the glutes, you kind of have to wake them up over and over through repetition and just external feedback. Like you got to hold them. You got to like really feel it. And then once they kick in, they're there. They start to wake up and they start to fire. So I start my day now that I know that my glutes were so asleep. I start my day every day with these potty squats I was just describing with a band around. And I do 20 to 50 of them in the morning and 20 to 50 at night. And I kid you not, it, in just about a month of doing this, my entire backside has changed. More importantly, my abdominals have changed entirely. After all this work, doing core work for years and years, it takes this glute work that changes my tummy. And uh, most, if not all, of my back pain has just completely dissipated um, just because the glutes are firing. So it's pretty simple. We, we Sometimes when I'm working with people in person, it gets more complicated because they have uh, unique situations and unique habits. And I just need to kind of hold their pelvis in the right position or make sure their foot's not doing the work or where's the knee. Um, so it can get a little complicated in that department. But really, everybody can start to feel it. Um, just even if you're sitting right there listening to this podcast, you can just in a seated position, take your hands on the outside of both knees and press in with the hands um, with a lot of resistance. And while pressing in with the hands, push the knees out into the resistance. And without doing much, you'll start to feel the backside working. And that is the start to waking up the glutes. I know that's kind of heady and crazy, but it's it's awesome. a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing when they fire. No, I love that. It's a beautiful thing when they fire. I love that. Um, uh, I love that analogy about the surfers and the type A because it's just so, it's so right on. Like it is. Yeah. <laughs> and your glutes are huge. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you really are thinking about like, if you're in a performance spot where you're wanting to run faster, or do more, like you need your ass, you know, like you need yeah. all of it, like to go. Yeah. So the, 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 and actually this summer I'm going on an entire, uh, I'm calling it the cheeky tour and I'm going to many, many cities and doing this workshop where I put my hands on people's butts and I get them to fire. But, uh, <laughs> wow. What I, what I use at the very beginning of this workshop is a description. Cause I think we all have to see it and feel it to understand why we're doing it. And once you get it, it's common sense. It's like learning how a car operates, right? Like if you can see it and understand it, all of a sudden you're the mechanic of your body. 
So what I use to describe how important the glutes are is imagining that your pelvis is like a fruit bowl. And then imagine that not only is it a fruit bowl with some heavy fruit in there, which is all your organs and all the tissue, because we're standing up and we're no longer crawling on all fours, um, what happens with that fruit bowl is it gets front loaded. So imagine it's a bunch of lemons and oranges. And instead of resting evenly in the bowl, all that fruit pushes to the front of the bowl. And so what happens is now you're holding on to a fruit bowl that's very heavy in the front. I tell them to imagine if you were to hold that fruit bowl with just your thumbs at the very back part, it would be literally impossible. But most of us are walking around all day long with basically just thumb amount of strength trying to hold this very heavy fruit bowl which is the joints in the back and some other um, muscles that we don't want to use. But if you imagine the fanning of those glutes across the back of edge of that bowl, and you imagine them pulling backwards towards the tailbone, what it's doing is it's not like necessarily tipping the bowl. All it's doing is counterbalancing that fruit in the front. And so the glutes, if we don't have that counterbalance, the body starts to freak out because this is the base of our nervous system, right? This is the most important part of our function. And so our nervous system, if it doesn't feel that we have that counterbalance to our organs, it's going to use whatever it can. And it, usually those muscles that I talked about. So the minute you call those glutes into action and you give that base of your nervous system, you give the pelvis that support, things just fall into line. Like putting enough oil in your car, you get an oil change and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it dries well. You know, like it's the same thing if the glutes are firing. Things kind of trickle down and start working um, and really really incredible ways just from that they're so important it's magical i'm passionate about the butt now <laughs> i could totally hear that I, I i i'm feeling your passion i'm doing what you know doing these exercises in my chair like you said to do and it's absolutely right it's totally firing up my glutes so thank you yeah for that <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about because there's been some controversy lately i don't know if you've heard about this but about planks mm -hmm. and what do you feel about planks are they effective can pregnant yeah. women do them? Should they do them? Can you talk about that, please? I get why people don't think that they're great for you. Um, I, I get that. I, I don't necessarily agree on two important reasons. One, on principle. I have issue telling any human being, woman or otherwise, but especially women, that they need to not move a certain way. For me, this is dangerous territory because um, it's A, not true unless you have a very serious condition that requires that level of restriction. But it, it just, I, I don't, I'm, my brain still says instead, why can't she do a plank? What's going on in her body that's not helping her do that? Well, maybe she's doing too many of them. Like maybe it's not necessary for her while pregnant to do a thousand planks. Like that makes sense. That's logical, right? You have a big heavy belly. Mm -hmm. So right around 22 weeks, you should probably stop doing a bunch of planks. Mm -hmm. Like that's just common sense, right? Cause you're putting all that pressure on the tissue. So, you know, but is it going to hurt her terribly? No. And if she is supported in her pelvis and her core is working properly, it doesn't really pose a risk. Planks pose a risk um, because we are not strong in the right way. We're strong in the pecs. We're strong in the hip flexors. We're strong in the rectus abdominis. So if we go into a plank and we're doing it from that point of strength, then yes, it's going to actually cause a whole host of problems, ranging from belly issues, diastasis recti, back pain, uh, shoulder joint issues, to rotator cuff issues. It's going to cause a lot of problems. But if you're taught correctly how to do a plank and you're actually working from your deep core muscles, from your mid-back or your mid-trapezius, 
and from the proper position of your pelvis, then planks are wonderful and are very, um, are not really risky at all. I will say though, that when it comes to pregnant women, we all need to take a step back and stop saying to pregnant women like, oh, just exercise any way you want. Instead, there needs to be a reverence and deference for what her body is going through and um, an understanding of just basic common sense. I mean, you're not just growing a baby in there. Your entire body is shifting in very miraculous and impressive ways to house this baby. So our job is as fitness people is to then work with that without saying that something is dangerous or off limits. Instead of saying like, okay, here's what you need to do that would be really helpful. Um, so that when you are out of pregnancy, you can jump back in and do all the planks you want. But especially with healing with diastases, there's quite a controversy about whether or not planks are good to do. I depart from the group here and I'm like, look, if your core is firing properly and you've done adequate like two weeks to a month of healing in your abdominals and your glutes, then I say plank all day long. I mean, it can be incredible if you're doing it the right way. If you're not doing it the right way and if you haven't taken a proper time of transition to teach your body how to operate, then they can be very dangerous. I've seen a lot of, a lot of injuries happen from incorrect planking. That I'm sorry I couldn't give you just a straight. No, no, that, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, it's just okay. it's one of those. Just in general, there are planks good for you, just for anybody. And I say yes, if you. But like you said, you got to do them properly. You have to use your trapezius. You know, you have to. Uh, you know, it comes down to scapular stabilization, which mm -hmm. is along with the pelvis. So if you think of your shoulders, the shoulder girdle and the pelvic girdle, they mirror one another. They're really dependent upon muscles and ligaments and. Um, a very, very <laughs> impressive way of moving. And they're, they're kind of floaty. They're not really bony structures that hold themselves together in a very strict way. And so when you're dealing with the upper body in a plank position, I see this with a lot, most women I work with, is that their scapula or their shoulder blades are destabilized just like the pelvis. And that back line of the body is so weak that they're not able to hold their scapula in the right spot. So they're not able to support the scapula much like they're not able to support the pelvis. And so teaching how to support and stabilize the scapula is like, it's a little comp, it's a little hard, but when a woman gets it, it changes the whole plank move. And a simple way to see if you're doing it right is when you're in a plank, um, a lot of women have those, or men too, actually, uh, men are actually a little worse in this department than this. They have the chicken wings that poke out mm -hmm. in the back mm -hmm. where you can like walk up and grab somebody's, uh, chicken wing, that's a sign that your scapula are destabilized. In an in a good plank, there will be a flat back, so you wouldn't be able to grab anything back there. And um, in, in what I teach, I actually have an entire section on just plank tutorial and how to do it properly. And people come out of it and they're like, oh my God, this changed my yoga, this changed my planking. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't need to do push-ups anymore because I just do this properly. I mean, it's just, it's cool. It works. When it works, it works really yep. well. So... Oh my gosh. I have, I've had this ongoing like nagging shoulder thing, right? Uh -huh. This, this show often becomes like therapy for whoever is on the show. Like for us, like for Mark and I or Kristen, we're like, now let's talk about the issues I have having. So for the Please. longest time, like, I don't think, like, I think I'm delt dominant. Like I just use my delts for mm -hmm. everything and I need to use more of my back. And mm -hmm. so I'm trying to do more stuff like that. And now I'm going to go late and now I'm going to go after we get off this, I'm going to do my plank. I'm going to see if I'm chicken winging. Cause I bet mm -hmm. I am now that I think about it. And yeah. is, it your, is it your right side? That's um, bad. Oh yeah. And I think a lot of it um, to tie this back around to motherhood too, is I, I think a lot of 
the issues that I have for my shoulder have just stemmed from um, obviously that kind of muscular imbalance, but also just the heavy strain of, you know, carrying your kid, putting them in that awkward position. You have to put them in a car seat. Yeah, that is man. I feel like if I could take like a month off from that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good. And carrying those seats. Yeah. So what happens with that dominant shoulder, because we're multitasking, is that you'll notice on the side that's hurting, it tends to roll forward a lot more. Yep. And what's happening inside that shoulder joint is now it's it, the brain thinks it's at risk of being bone on bone. And it gets really worried about bone on bone in a joint. And so it does everything possible to prevent prevent that from happening. And one of the things that happens is that the pec muscles Uh, the major and the minor, which go across the chest and underneath the collarbone, that whole area gets really tight in an attempt, desperate attempt to support the shoulder joint. The problem is it's a vicious cycle because it gets tighter and tighter and then pulls the shoulder more and more out of joint. Now Mm -hmm. we all feel that happening. And what do we do to fix it? We pull the shoulder back. And when you pull the shoulder back, you end up working a muscle called the levator scapula, which is across the back of the scapula up to the neck. And this muscle's like not supposed to do stabilization work and what it does is it takes over to try to support that so you end up with pain in the back and then you end up with pain in the shoulder and it just kind of like i said that vicious cycle so the big fix for any painful shoulder are two key points of release um which is the pecs digging in there with a lacrosse ball or getting a good myofascial release across the front all the way under the breast And then also um, making sure you're releasing right under the back of the armpit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So right where the lats meet. And when you hit those two points, it frees the shoulder up. And once you're freed up, that's where you start to do the scapular stabilization work, which is imagining that the scapula are coming um, down the body like a V down the back and kind of tucking under the body. Instead Mm -hmm. of pinching together and squeezing, you're kind of imagining them like wings pulling underneath the rib cage. And uh, that's a little harder to teach from afar, but when women get that, all shoulder stuff goes away pretty quickly um, just from that position. But check it out when you're in that plank. You'll see that that right side, or even just standing, if you lean your body up against the wall, you'll notice if you take the arms up to the side like a snow angel while you're leaning against the wall, you'll notice the side that's really off because that chicken wing will start poking into the wall. And that's a sign that it's not stable on that side. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And actually, the last time I had, because I have had a little bit of active release therapy done. Yeah. Um, and that's where, that's exactly where he targeted the last time. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like a new woman. What's happening? You know? <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. issue is, is that I haven't corrected those muscular imbalances. So it's like every like three, four or five months, I'm like, oh man, here it is again. Like there's that pain. I got to make an appointment. Yep. Fix the problem, Jen. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So let's talk about injury prevention. What are the yeah. most common errors people make when they're working out that causes injury? Oh my God, I love that question. Uh, you know, one that we already addressed was the glute stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say if you're dealing with any joint problem, any joint pain anywhere in the body, start first with the glutes and just rule out uh, gluteal amnesia. Make sure they're working properly before you dive in anywhere else. The other main thing is, um, you know, we we target certain areas of the body um, more than others. Or, you know, we've been taught by society that our our bellies are so important. And I would say to totally move away from that. Like if your pelvis is in the right spot, if the back line of your body is working really well, you're not going to have to work very hard on the core at all. And that's a little shocking for people to realize. But I've seen it happen in my own body and I've been watching it happen 
and in other women's bodies, where you can really back away from all this overemphasis on the core. So focusing on back line of the body, that means your mid trapezius, your glutes, things like that as being the primary thing to strengthen. And then the other one is to um, make sure you're doing something that you want to do. So I see a lot of people get back into fitness and they're like, this is the right thing to do. This is how so-and-so did it. Or uh, I don't know, we just get this like Rocky style attitude about it. And we pummel ourselves into things that we think are the right way to get fit. And I see most of the injuries when we force ourselves into that bubble. So my suggestion to everybody is like do basic cross training for strength, like potty squats every day. Do basic core work, like a, a good plank or learning abdominal bracing, and then go do the thing you love to do and do it with a conscious attitude to alignment to all the key points that I've been talking about with the glutes and proper core function. Um, and, and go go whole hog with the thing you love to do. Um, and that then becomes a really, really important device in getting healthy and avoiding injury because one, you want to do it. And two, you want to protect your ability to do it. So you get curious about what's going wrong. You get a little bit more invested. I think the final thing with injury is that um, for women in particular, most of us are overtoned in the pelvic floor, meaning that we have to learn a sort of strength through our body, but especially in the pelvic floor, that's less like a um, steel trap that we've been taught where you squeeze a Kegel and you hold it as long as you can. <laughs> Moving away from that and really focusing on the idea of coming and going and an elastic trampoline-like strength uh, becomes more important than what we've been taught, which is just building muscle to be very strong. Instead, our strength needs to be resilient strength. And that's a very, that's a very key thing that most people miss. We think, okay, it's time to get strong. It's time to do my thing. I need to really strengthen this. And I say, no, no, back up. You need a responsive muscle function. You need an integration orchestration of your body so that you're resilient. And um, it's like looking at a, somebody at Cirque du Soleil. Like if, if strength was really about uh, big muscles and strong muscles and everything we've been taught, then those people would have to walk out being super beefy. But instead, you go see it and you're like, how is that little girl so strong? <laughs> how is that tiny human able to do that stuff? And it's because the way that their bodies have learned to be resilient gives them a really superhuman strength um, and will prevent injury long term. Wow. It's yeah. also kind of beautiful, right? Like you're, you, yeah. you know, you can train your body in a way that isn't just like hard or yeah. like a rock, but you can, you can train it to do beautiful, graceful, amazing things like birth children. Yes. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Um, so we, we want to be cognizant of your time here. Um, I have one more question and then Margo, are you ready to wrap this show literally up? I'll do it expertly. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> like the boss that you are. Okay. So, um, I love on your website, you, um, you have the tagline that motherhood is an action sport. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that and what it means? Yeah. So I was, um, a very athletic kid. I was a kayaker, an elite gymnast, um, soccer player, blah, blah, blah. And then became a professional ballet dancer. And, um, you know, the level of training that I went through to do those beautiful things was really intensive. And then when I started working uh, with my own body, but also with just the general population after retiring, I noticed that there's this really huge divide between people who think they're athletic and people who think they're just like, you know, lazy bums. 
and you've kind of decided you're one or the other. Either I'm an athlete doing like really incredible things, or I'm just like not into fitness. And, you know, if you look at what a mom does, you look at what a woman does even before she gets pregnant, but like you look at that process and you kind of pull away from the labels we've, we as a society have associated with, with motherhood and with, with women. If you look at daily activity, I mean, if we were to do like a GoPro of just what our bodies do each day, it's above what most athletes and dancers and tennis players, it's above what most people are, are asking of their bodies, but minus any of the elite training. And that to me, when I saw that and I saw what women are at, and then you add in sleep deprivation, you add in um, endocrine right. disruption, you add in lack of support, you add in having to go back to work. Like you add in all that stuff. It was like, well, why don't we see this? And why don't women see themselves um, the minute they become pregnant as people who require elite level training for what that is? So that came out of frustration of just hearing so many women over and over and over and over say to me, oh, I'm not athletic. Like, I don't need that sort of training. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like <laughs> you really actually need it just based off of what you do between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. Like that's the end of the day for a lot of athletes, the amount of exercise yeah. and stuff you do and how awkward it is and demanding it is on our body. So that it came from that of trying to shift that and trying to offer a middle road where instead of looking at fitness as something that either makes us look better or helps us be better athletes, it was more like, no, how does it help me do the stuff that I need to do each day without falling apart? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's definitely an action sport. I, I think if every woman could see themselves as an athlete minus what we think what an athlete really is, they would start to treat themselves a lot better, myself included. Well, yeah, because we spend so much time just kind of beating ourselves up, like I'm not doing this well enough, or the house isn't clean, or this isn't managed, or I forgot this. It's easy to dwell on that kind of stuff. Really, when I got on your site, I think I was having a particularly challenging motherhood day. And um, when I was looking, you know, like, because we were going to have you as a guest and everything, and then I saw that tagline, and I was like, oh, my God, like, mf -er, it is. Like, it yeah. really, really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it really is. It's a, it's a, yeah, it really is. I think this is the first time we call one of our guests an MFR. <laughs> oh my God. I want that forever. <laughs> I'm feeling like, I'm just totally for it. I almost went fully for it. And I was like, hold it back. Hold it back. Just oh my so God. Never hold back with me. And I will wear that with pride. <laughs> I will. That's the best, that's the best I also, I did write down, I think, um, it's magical. I'm passionate about the butt. So I feel like there's been so many quotables and really um, good moments that we've had here. <laughs> good. I'm happy to provide. I, I have more. I can talk about the sphincter and Kegels all day. I'm kidding. Well, next time. Next time. Next time. We have to have you back on the show because definitely I'm going to have some questions for you. So yes. are you ready for our last question for today? Sure. Go for it. All right. Courtney. Uh-huh. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? <laughs> uh, last song. Okay. It was a song called Darlin' by Bambi Lee Savage. Aw. That oh. sounds adorable. That does. Who is, is that? that? You guys don't listen. I don't. The rest of her songs I don't really like. But this song, uh, actually, before I got pregnant with my first kid, I was dancing in this piece. And anyway, we performed to this song. And it's like a... It's just like a really cozy, you have to listen to it, you have to Google it. It's um, really sweet, and the lyrics are really sweet, and it's very calming. It's like what I want somebody to sing to me. But anyway, it was on my playlist, and it came up, and I was like, I love this song. 
That's funny that you asked because I was actually thinking about that before. Adorable. That's adorable. A great so answer. you knew. Yeah, lots of times people that are just like, I have no idea. Like, hold on, let me look at my phone. Let me see what was on my last Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you there so much you for being on the show today. You were you were fantastic and so much fun and and, and well, super you. informative. My goodness. Well, good. Thank you so much for having me. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitboundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.